Okay, so today we're going to start plowing through Romans 12 through 16, which is our new series, the second half of Romans, where we're looking at what does righteousness look like? We saw in the first half that righteousness is something that happens by faith, not by the law. We don't, we don't uh, reform ourselves from the outside. We are transformed and live the substitutionary life. And with a renewed mind, we become a living sacrifice. And that's, that's what righteousness is. That's where it comes from. It's imputed and then it's lived out through the power that God grants us. And now we're looking at 12 through 16. Okay, well, what does that look like in practical terms in everyday life? <clears throat> it's a difficult concept to say the righteousness comes by faith because faith is a difficult thing. Faith is the evidence of things not seen and the substance of things hoped for, things that we don't have. That's not, that's not an easy thing to do. So it's good to see what the outworkings look like so we can see what does it look like when we're having faith. And it's an important teaching thing for us. So let's just read chapter 12. That's what we're going to cover today. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And we looked at this last week. Reasonable is logical. So the logical thing to do, therefore, after 1 through 11 of imputed righteousness, the logical thing to do, therefore, is to be transformed in such a way that our life becomes completely uh, dead to self and alive to God because we are now living to please God. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So when we live this righteousness out, we're doing exactly what God asks us to do. And we know from the Lord's Prayer, heaven's a place where God's will is done. So when God's will is now brought to life through us, we're bringing a little bit of heaven into our surroundings. <clears throat> Verse 3, for I say... Through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another, with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. 
For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome evil. Uh, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, so we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at unity and diversity, which is a big theme of this uh, topic here. We're going to look at what does it mean to be an effective member in the body. And then I'm going to talk about my personal experience and understanding some of this stuff, which has been, I would say, for me, completely transformational. And I've experienced personally when I change my mind about what it means to be a part of a body and have my gifts and, and understand other people's gifts, how, how it has changed my life. So unity and verse, diversity, what does it mean to be an effective member and uh, some, some of my personal experience. So let's start with unity and, and diversity. We see here we have how many bodies? One body. Okay, that's unity. How many members? Many members. That's diversity. And this is a common problem. Philosophers talk about this a lot. It's a, another paradox. Because what you need to have an effective body is everything going in the same direction. If you had somehow your arms start to decide for themselves that they wanted to do one thing and your legs deciding they wanted to do something else and your uh, mouth deciding a third thing, it would be fairly comical, wouldn't it? If your legs decided it wanted to run a train for a marathon and your arms decided it wanted to learn how to paint and all the time your mouth is deciding that it wants to learn comedy, well... That would be an interesting thing to observe, wouldn't it? You're running along on the as you as you train and carrying your pastel stuff and carrying it and trying to do something while you're telling jokes. I, mean, I, I guess I guess it's possible that you could do something like that, but that that's really not what we aim for in uh, in, in living a life. We aim to be kind of have everything going in the same direction. And yet, we have diversity. We've got, our, we've got our different members of our body that are doing different things. If you watch a, a sprinter in slow motion, like an Olympic sprinter, it's really amazing because they have various muscles in their body firing at different times. Fire, relax, fire, relax. And their face will be completely limp. They're just, their cheeks are bouncing up and down like there's, there's not... Because... If I want to sprint as fast as possible, I want all my energy going to just the right place at just the right time. And I've got all these different muscles doing different things. Some are balancing, some are thrusting, some are relaxing, actually just, just not doing anything at all. All for one purpose. I want to run as fast as I can from the start to the finish. That's the picture that God's giving us of what the body's supposed to look like. Well, let's look at uh, another couple of passages that will give us some instruction. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4 verse 11, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we no longer be children. So we have this notion that 
we have these gifts that are for equipping and they are to bring us unity in the faith. Here's unity. Unity in the faith. Unity in knowledge of the Son of God there in verse 13. Uh, to bring us a perfect man. A perfect man is somebody that's got everything going in just the right direction. Channeling the energy into the output that they want. And the fullness of Christ. So the goal here, the unified goal, is to have a perfect man, the body of Christ, and the perfect knowledge of Christ, all doing what Christ would have us to do. That's the unity. But then in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to effective working by every part does its share causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. So in verse 16 we have the diversity. Every part doing what they do best for the good of the whole. And last week we talked about this. This is the very definition of righteousness, diakosune. It's the harmony of all the parts coming together for the good of the whole. Competing philosophies with Christianity embrace this notion. Uh, We talked about Plato and his republic. And he has the idea of diakosune, same word, righteousness or justice, is every person doing what they do best for the city-state. So he has a governmental notion. But then that begs the question, who decides what's in the best interest of the city-state? And when, when we have a man-defined definition, we have a problem. Communism has this same notion. Everybody do what they do best for the good of the whole. No one profits more than anyone else. We all profit the same. Well, how has that worked out? It hasn't worked out too well because when you have unity... Uh, without diversity, and it's determined by a small group of people, what you end up with is tyranny. Sort of like diversity yes, and when you have diversity without any purpose behind it, you just have chaos. And, and really what you have is uh, you have di- the diversity turns up in division because people aren't going for a... There's, no, there's nothing, you know, unifying factor. But, but diversity is not an end unto itself. And unity. And who decides? And who decides? Who, who decides? Yeah. So what we have here is who. So who decides what is harmonious? What is the harmonious purpose here? Who decides that? Well, God gets to decide that. And we saw things like love your enemy, and bear with others with one another's burdens. Uh, because why is why is that? Because what we're doing is we're building harmony the right way and speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. That's one of the big things that we do to build one another up. Okay? So we have unity and diversity, but unity is for a purpose. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, grow up in all things into him who's the head, which is Christ. Well, so that's that's kind of the point. And... You know, what we have now on uh, political correctness. Uh, so correctness is a, is a euphemism for truth, right? Something's correct or incorrect. It's true or false. So they don't like the word truth, so they supplanted it with correct. And it's determined politically. How many of you here have ever voted on what's true? No one. Well, me neither. Oh, you've, you voted. Did someone have an election? Uh, you thought you were? Well, we vote for candidates, but whoever put on the ballot and said... Okay, is this particular issue now going to be true or false? They don't ask us. Who is it actually that's determining what's true and what's not? 
And they change every few days, right? So who is Moses now? Who's bringing a tablet down from the mountain? We now have a Moses that's giving new tablets every so often, and we don't even know who Moses is. Truth that's being determined arbitrarily by somebody we don't even know. That's kind of a weird notion. That's the world that we're in. But when we have speaking the truth in love, we're talking about speaking what God says is true, because that's what God's prerogative is, is to get to say what's true. But we're doing it for the benefit of building up the body, not just to show I know what's true and you don't. So this is the notion of the, of the body. Uh, it tells us if we go on in uh, Ephesians, it tells us to walk in wisdom. And if we look on and just kind of flip ahead to what the rest of the book is about here, and it say, what does this look like? What does it look like when we live in harmony with one another? It's interesting because it talks about having a godly marriage. Now think about why that would be a really good uh, application of this unity and diversity. Why, why would this be a great application of living the body, having a godly marriage? Why would it be? Because it's easier to be one. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Because you've got some diversity, right? Has anybody noticed there's a difference between men and women? Yes. So far in the history of the world... There's not been a single man that's delivered a baby, as to my knowledge. Okay, So they're different. And yet, when you have a godly marriage and they come together and each plays their role for the benefit of the other, you have a picture of the body, a little picture of the body. And, and then children obey your parents. Well, now you have familial harmony because the parents are deciding, okay, this is what's in the best interest of the family. I have your best interest at heart. Trust me. And when the children lean into that, it's a picture of what this looks like. And then it goes on in Ephesians, if you just flip through, and when you have a job and you have a boss, do what is best for that boss, what's best for that company, even when no one's looking, even if the boss is unreasonable. Because what you're doing is you're working for God when you do that. And and God is pleased. And then it goes on and ends with be a spiritual warrior. This is really a spiritual battle. Look beyond what's just physical. Because everything we're talking about here is the gifting that we're given by the Spirit. Okay, So that's unity and diversity. We have the unity of the body of Christ and truth and love. And we're working towards mutual benefit, not the way we see it, but the way God sees it. And we have diversity. We've got these members. We all have all these different capabilities that we have that can come together. So we've got unity, but we've got diversity, and this is where it kind of starts the rubber meets the road, because then the question is, and the second point is, well, how do we become a really great member? If we have a role to play in the body, how do we discover that role? How do we embrace that role? How do we imply that role effectively? So I want to look at another passage that has a lot to do with spiritual gifts that will help us in this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What does it mean to be a really great member? Well, to be a great member, you got kind of two big things to be a good member. One is you've got to understand your role. 
we have to know what is our role. And the, and the second thing is has to do with equipping, equipping and functionality. Well, then let's talk about roles first. Realize your role and lean into it. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 15. If the foot should say, hey, because I'm not a hand, then I, I'm not part of the body. I'm not part of this thing anymore. I'm not properly appreciated. I'm out. Uh, is it therefore not of the body? Can the hand actually say? Can the hand actually secede? Uh, and if an ear should say, "Hey, I'm not an eye, so I'm not of the body," is it therefore not of the body? Can the can the ear secede? If the whole body were an eye, that's a weird that's a weird uh, visual, isn't it? Uh, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But not now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. So who has assigned these capabilities we have? Yeah, why did He do it? That's what He wanted to do, right? He did it just the way He wanted to. If they were all one member, then what would the body be? So now diversity is incredibly important. And who designed the diversity? God did. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. There's the unity and diversity again. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I had no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. So if you're a male, especially a junior high male, you like these unpresentable parts. You make lots of jokes about them. Especially if it involves the, uh, the uh, methane gas coming out somehow. This, this is really fun for junior high boys. Okay? And uh, we tend to discount these, these parts. You know, nobody, nobody, unless you're in the junior high kind of mode, you don't, you don't talk about them that much. But have you ever had digestive problems? It is not fun, is it? You start appreciating those parts way more than any junior high boy ever would, right? You now focus on your digestive system in a way with great affection and love. Well, that's kind of the point that he's bringing here. Our dishonorable parts we should elevate because they're really important. They're dishonorable not because in God's perspective. They're dishonorable because we don't get kind of what's important. Toes. We don't tend to focus on toes that much. But remember Deion Sanders, the best quarter, maybe cornerback that's ever played? He, was, he lost his career because he hurt a toe. <coughs> And he lost he lost that edge because of a bad toe. Have you had a broken toe before? You notice your toe when you have a broken toe. Okay? But verse 24, But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there be no schism in the body. So this is one really important part. There are no gifts that are more important than other gifts. Now, there are more gifts that may edify more. So when we talk about church, 
prophecy is more important than mercy when we gather together because prophecy is something everybody can benefit from where mercy is more of a one-on-one gift. But that doesn't mean that it has more uh, importance to the body as a whole. That's just these passages that have to do with when we gather together. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. And let's look at the equipping and the functionality. So roles are important. Realize your role, your foot, your toe, your eye. And appreciate the role of others because the colon has a really important part to play even though it may not be the most attractive part. Okay, And, and keep the goal in mind. We're all working together to have the body function. All right? So... We have the roles, but then we have the equipping and the functions. So let's look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So lots of gifts, one Spirit. Again, diversity and unity. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. So we've got gifts, we've got ministries. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works them all. So we've got three things here. Gifts, ministries, and activities. And all one spirit. So this is something the spirit does all three. So let's look at these three things. We're talking about equipping and functions. Gifts. This is the Greek word charisma. Gifts. It's something that, that the spirit just gives. A supernatural capability to do something. Ministries is the Greek word diakonia. Diakonia. We get our word deacon from this. Obviously, we get the word charisma from charisma. We get the word deacon from dia, And it means service. Accomplishing something. Some ministry of some kind. Some service. And the third word, called here activities, is the word, the Greek word, energema, energema, E-N-E-R-G-E-M-A. How do you, sp- how do you pronounce that? Energema. Energema. Okay. <laughs> All right, energema, uh, energy. Okay, so so we got we got uh, charisma, deacons, and energy. And we got gifts, opportunities for service, and jobs, work. So the Spirit gives all three of these things. And and it makes sense that we should have all three, right? You have equipping. What are you capable of doing that the Spirit gives you to do? And you've got opportunities for service. And then you've got jobs to do. So gifts is what I can do well. Ministries are applications or something that I, I, I have an opportunity to do. And then there's an activity that is associated with the opportunity. So we may have an opportunity to say... We want the place, the grounds to be clean. That's a, that's a service opportunity. And if we need the grounds to be clean, the trash needs to be picked up. Well, if the trash are picked up, well, what part of the body is involved in picking up the trash? What part of the body would you use? Feet, hands, right? We want to use feet and hands, eyes, okay? And so we're going to use that part. So we have, we have that service. So when we go to work, we need hands and feet mainly to, get, to take the trash out. Uh, on the other hand, if we've got some medical trans, uh, records that need to be transcribed so that we can keep a record on somebody and make sure that we serve them properly, now what part of the body is most important? Your eyes and ears now, and maybe your hands. Okay, so it's going to be a little different than maybe the little, the little toe can kind of take a break on this one because it's not, not all that important. Little toe's a big deal. You're going to take trash out. You know, little toe's pretty important. If it's broken, you're going to have a problem. 
So we got different service opportunities, different activities. And it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to be a trash collector for a living because I'm really good at hands and feet. Or I'm going to be a medical transcriber for, for my for my vocation because I'm really great at listening and and putting things into writing versus there's a need now and I'm available to do that need and and it needs to be done versus versus a vocation. One thing I've seen people do with this, this topic of giftedness is go into one of two ditches. One ditch is this is all I do. Okay, I'm a transcriber. I'm a, I'm an, I'm an eye, ear, hand person. So I don't do feet jobs. If a job, if a job involves feet, I, that's not my giftedness. I can't do feet. If, if we're involved, I can see that that trash can's overflowing, but somebody else is going to have to do it because I'm not a trash person. Well, that's not really what this is talking about, I don't think. On the other hand, I don't think we would want someone that's always got broken toes to rely on them to get our trash picked up. Okay? So there's doing a job, and there's leaning into the job. Okay? There's, they're really two different things. I think this is important because now I'm going to go into my own personal experience with this whole thing. And what I've seen people do in this whole topic of spiritual gifts is oftentimes get confused and get kind of tied up. Because it's really clear God gives spiritual gifts. We read that. I'm not going to focus on those specifics. I'm going to look more at the categorical topic of spiritual gifts. And I'm going to give you my thoughts about this in my experience. So it's clear in here that God gives supernatural endowments of various kinds. I think that's clear. But it's also clear that God gives the Spirit to everyone. The Holy Spirit's in all of us. And what does the fruit of the Spirit look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Is that the same for everybody or different? Is everybody got differences? It's the same. What is the difference going to be? Well, you may be stronger in one than the other, but we were all well, the fruit's supposed to be the same for all of us. What, but what for sure will the difference be? What? Okay, how you get there? Because you're, serv- you're serving one way, I'm serving a different way, and so love, joy, peace, we're going to be doing different things to achieve that in our different spheres, aren't we? Speak the truth in love is going to look differently depending on our circumstances and, and, uh, the, and the particular jobs that we're doing. What's that? I got you got short-changed on patience? <laughs> well, all the more opportunity for the Spirit to do the job, right? <laughs> so, yeah, and patient, patience in one application is going to be different than patience in another application. Patience in one application may be just listening. Uh, patience in another application may be just waiting your time, biding your time before it's time to say something. It's going to be different depending on circumstances. But it's the same spirit in all of us. We've got one spirit. So we've got supernatural endowments, but we all have the spirit in us. And we all are fearfully and wonderfully made. So we all were born at a particular time in history. Joe cannot minister in the Middle Ages. Why not? He wasn't there in the Middle Ages. Right? He's here now. And so... There's a, there's a time and a circumstance component of this. And there's also our talents, our aptitudes. 
the uh, upbringing that we have, the things we learn while we're growing up, these are all part of who we are. So we have different circumstances, we have different talents, we have different training that we all have. We have, we have the same spirit and we've got different gifts. So that's what all of us have. So how do you make sense of all of that because there's so much that is different? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you my personal uh, experience with this. So I'm now on the third point, my personal experience. And take, take, it, take it as you will. So let me first talk about spiritual gifts. There's a lot of excellent training on spiritual gifts. I, I think it's very helpful. When I went through the great spiritual gifts inventory that we have at our church, I, I don't know if we still do that or not. I hope so. I, th- I thought it was really helpful. I found it incredibly insightful. However, the notion that the goal of this is to fit yourself into a description that somebody came up with, I, I just totally reject that. I don't think any of this is here to limit us in functionality. I think all of this here is to enable us to gain understanding. Now, it may well be that somebody is endowed with just one gift. I'm not saying that that's not the case. But my personal experience is I I really think each of us have one gift, and it's us. That's our gift. We are unique to the body. There's no other Tom. There's no other Kelly. There's no other Joe. There's just one. No other Mark. There's just one in the body. And that package, that unique package, is a gift. So, uh, to me, the the thing that I got from that inventory, which I found incredibly helpful, was it kind of showed me the things that I think I'm I'm, uh, particularly good at. I'm kind of a vision, faith, leadership, stewardship person. And I really, 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 really have a passion for freedom. I have a passion for spiritual freedom. I have a passion for familial freedom, political freedom, organizational freedom. I really care about that. So I tend to use my gifts to kind of start things and build initiatives that are oriented towards freedom. That's kind of what I do. And I've, I've discovered this kind of watching myself. This is, this is where I always gravitate to. So I just kind of embrace that and lean into it. There's a lot of things I totally stink at. I am just a klutz. That doesn't mean I can't still do some of it, but I don't lean into that. I have a personality. I've got a personality. And a personality, when we say personality, what we mean mainly is the way we process Information, preferences on processing information, on organizing information, making decisions with information. That's actually what we mean mostly when we say personality. So I like to think and talk at the same time. That's my preference. It came to my knowledge that there were people that weren't like that. I was pretty old in life when, when I came to understand this. It was a remarkable discovery for me that not everybody was like me. This is actually one of the biggest transformational things that's ever happened in my life to realize there's other people that don't think like I do. It was unthinkable to me that people wouldn't like exactly what I like. I think we all start off that way. I may have been, I may have been a little late in arriving at uh, that understanding, but just watching people... I may have actually been early. I I think it's really possible that a lot of people never get this. But 
I discovered there's people that like to think first before they talk. Now, that's an odd thing to someone like me. But once you understand that, you understand you actually have to recognize those people and ask them, or you never find out what they're thinking, and they are actually really thoughtful and come up with some great things. And understanding not only my own personality, but other people's personality, people like this, we have them in our family. So we're going to talk a little bit about how familial harmony comes about here. So we have several very introverted people in our family. So when we go on a gathering together, one of the things I've learned is if we will give those people time to go off and recharge, it brings harmony to the family. It's the natural bent for someone like me to make fun of people like that (laughs) and to bring shame on them because they're ostracizing themselves from the rest of the group. And when you realize what well, they need to be recharged, okay? They're not rejecting us. They just need that. Well, then you can, you can actually set up an expectation of that and sort of even celebrate it. Now they're going off to recharge. Yay, way to go. You're doing a good job so you won't become grumpy tomorrow. That's great. <laughs> I have a preference for information uh, of uh, kind of storing information. I have a saying, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. Uh, A lot of people like to file things away. It's the same thing as throwing it away to me. Because if you put it in a box, that's I'll forget it's there, and it might as well not exist. But if I can pile things up, I'll, I'll know where it is all the time. So, guess what my dresser looks like? It has stacks and stacks of stuff. And we have this ongoing commentary in our house. That's a, that's a pile of junk. It's mine. Leave it alone. I know where everything is. The most extreme example I ever saw this, I have a friend named Steve, and his office had stacks of stuff in it that were 10 feet tall. No, I might probably, no, let's see, about 8 feet tall, about, about what your arms could reach. And, I mean, literally just had little paths through the office that you could kind of navigate through to, to kind of get places. In his office, I'm talking about. you got to kind of go right, left, right, left, sit down in the chair, that sort of thing. And I was in there one day. I sat down in his chair, and I looked down, and there was a deposit slip from 10 years prior sitting on the ground down there. But he was talking to me about this uh, particular uh, livestock-based thing or some kind of ranching thing. He said, I got, I got an article for you. And literally, he walked over to one of those stacks that was eight feet tall and came about to the middle of it and started flipping with his, with his thumb and in about five seconds just pulled this uh, article out and handed it to him. <laughs> okay? He knew where it all was. But I guarantee you put all that in a file cabinet, he would never know. You know, I have the standard thing, stop rearranging my stuff. What do you mean rearrange your stuff? It's, it's all piled up here. That's because I put it there. Okay? Just everybody's different. We have different ways of managing information. On the other hand, I have a, an orientation for looking at things kind of in the whole. I'm not very good at seeing details. Matter of fact, I'm so bad at seeing details that we have another little game that we play at our house. Well, I'll ask my wife and say, open the closet and say, I'm looking for my hat. Would you please see if it's in here? And she usually just reaches in right in front of me and takes it and hands it to me. And I say, thank you. I just couldn't see it. Because see, a hat is a detail. I can see the closet. It's got all these function, all these different things in there, shelves. It all fits together. I can kind of see... 
I just can't, I just can't see the pieces. And I know that. And she laughs, I laugh, but I got my hat. And a great wife. She's awesome. She's awesome. She just needs to leave my stuff alone. I only asked for it just on that one spot, just on my dresser. <laughs> okay, another amazing discovery I made is that there's people in the world that like doing things that are horrid, horrible activities to me. Uh, so I've got a particular modality. So I'm a big fan of the Colby test. If you if you have if you're not a a student of this, I recommend that you become a student of this. For me, it's a big deal because I'm a leader in the workplace. And what this measures is your energy levels to take action. And it's a, it's a really great insight that some people have. You know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and God's made the world with cause-effect. And we can understand categories if we observe things. And by understanding these categories, we can understand people. Well, I am a... A quick start person. I've got a ton of energy to innovate and meet challenges and do new things. I, almost inexhaustible. I, I actually will come home and start innovating on new things. Uh, I, I don't really don't run out of this energy. And I've got some energy to do follow through things, bring things to closure, put things in a plan, and see things through, bring things to closure, do 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 repetitive tasks. I have a little bit of energy for that, but it burns up fairly quick. We don't have that many quick start uh, people in the engineering world where, where I live. Uh, quick starts don't tend to get engineering degrees. That's w- for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's because they, they hate it as much as I did. A- engineering school is one of the worst things I've ever done. It was horrible. I just stuck it through because I, I had a goal in mind. Uh, but you know, the high follow-through people, I think maybe high fact finder, they, they tend to kind of like it because it, you know, do all this homework and stuff. The homework isn't for anything, you know. It's just to try to make you miserable to see if you can make it through for the most part. So I hated it. I was talking to this engineer that's also a quick start, a rare thing, and I was explaining to him how to speak follow-through because you mostly are dealing with follow-through people in this world that I'm in. And I said, tell me what these words do to you. I'm just going to say these words. And I said, repetitive, detail, plan, structure, uh, organization. And he said, they just make me hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, you just, you, it's like, it's like you're running your, cro- your claws across the blackboard. That's, that's, those are horrible words. I said, okay. Well, here's what you need to understand. When you talk to a follow-through person and you say, new idea innovate why don't we try hey how about if let's do that's how they feel when they hear those words ah okay so you you got to learn to speak follow through well one of the biggest one of the biggest revelations i ever had in the workplace was when i realized that, that there's people that like to do repetitive tasks because i always thought man i hate to ask somebody to do that that's such a horrible job Everybody, well, let's try to make it where everybody got a job like I have. Well, I realized they would hate that. They would hate it with all their heart. Because people, not everybody likes to do it. As a matter of fact, I live in a world of chaos to most people. It's fun to me. I myself a world full of challenges. I also had to learn that a little bit of change goes a long way. 
And so one of the things I've learned to do is just leave people alone. Because I always want to tinker with stuff and change it. I've got tremendous energy for that. But change always comes with a cost. So you always have to weigh, is this cost going to be worth it? And that was a hard thing for me to learn. That my gift can be incredibly destructive. So I need to use it very carefully. If you're a truth person, you may have the same thing. Truth is really powerful. Boy, it has to be used really strategically. Well, so I've got all these, I've got all these aptitudes and stuff. kind of tend to be extreme. So I tend to be extremely helpful or extremely disruptive. And it's taken me a lot of time in my life to understand that. But it's taken even more time to see what other people see and to, and to appreciate their gifts. When someone has an opposite gift from you, it's, it's hard to appreciate that. You, you feel like, oh, they're just a colon. <laughs> yeah. And then, you, and then you have a colon issue. And you say, I really appreciate colons a whole lot. The body. The body has funny parts. The body has parts that we don't tend to think about. We tend to focus on a face and stuff like that until we have a problem with the rest of the part. So perspective, seeing the gifts of others, seeing the body, seeing ourselves, understanding ourselves, understanding others and how to bring those others in to the body and help them be effective. Seeing God's perspective that ultimately what we're trying to do is get harmony going here where everybody benefits. To see unity of purpose that we're building up one another into the person of Christ and yet we all kind of have different things that we're good at and learning to appreciate those other things. Being an effective member, knowing our role and learning to see each other's in this unique contribution that we have. You know, this is what righteousness looks like. So when Paul starts Roman, he says it's from faith to faith. This is how we get righteousness. Well, when we live this life of faith and trusting that God knows what He was doing when He made you, that He knew what He was doing when He made me, and we are uniquely equipped to help the body and build it up. Well, now what we're starting to do is build a community in a supernatural way with knowledge and understanding. And that's what righteousness by faith looks like. It looks like a body where we appreciate all the parts, even toes and colons. Thanks, God, for Your amazing Word where we can, where we can see how fearfully and wonderfully made and amazing you're, You've made this world and this body. I pray that You just give us wisdom, how to appreciate one another, build one another up, and how we can contribute into our world in a way that is unexplainable to other people. In Jesus' name, amen.